Well, good morning, Coastal Church. We've got a great God, don't we? And uh, in fact, when we were praying this morning, I was thinking about the Gospel of John, which we're going through over the next several months. And and I was kind of praying. I was thinking, you know, the Gospel of John is such a simple, simple message. In fact, over the next few weeks, it's not always going to be very complex. Uh, but man, and what, what the gospel of Jesus Christ does is it reminds us how great our God is, how much he loves us, and how much he sacrificed that we can be in relationship with him. Good stuff, church, all right? So do me a favor. Uh, in your Bible, turn with me to First John. I mean, John chapter 1. Uh, we're going to pick up a little bit where we left off, uh, verse 35, and there's a handout in your bulletin. Okay, you can pull it out and follow along with me. And, uh, and so you know, the gospel of John's really big, and I can't cover every verse. So my hope is is that uh, you're reading it on your own uh, each week and follow along with me as we proceed. And there's going to be some sections I skip and move through rather quickly, okay? While you're getting ready, if, uh, I want to do one different thing here this morning. It's kind of that time of year where some of our students are graduating. So if you're a, co- not, not high school yet, okay, we'll do that in a couple weeks. If you're a graduating college student, would you do us a favor and stand? We want to celebrate your accomplishment uh, Billy's like, I don't want to stand. I'm sitting right up front. So stand up. Come on. All right. Anybody else? Anybody else? We have another graduating. Thank you. All right. Well done. Terrific. All right. Congratulations. Stay standing. Here's what we want to do as a church. All right. Uh, I know when you graduate, it gets a little nerve wracking sometimes too. And so we want to pray for you. Uh, congratulations on a really good accomplishment. All right. And we're very, very proud of each of you, um, especially the students that make this their home church uh, while you're going through school. Thank you. We're humbled that you would choose the journey, your spiritual journey with us. Uh, so thank you very much. All right. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to pray for these students who have put in a lot of effort uh, to graduate. And, um, and so God, thank you so much for their effort. And thank you, God, for them making Coastal a part of their spiritual journey as well. And we're just really proud of them as a church body. And then, God, I want to pray for their future. A lot of times the future is uncertain. The economy is particularly difficult for these graduates. And so, God, I pray that as they've been faithful, you'll just be faithful to them, provide for them, a journey with them in their future, and use their lives to make an impact for the name and fame of Jesus Christ. And I know... As you get older, you look back, God, and you go, man, I wish I'd started that journey with Christ a little bit sooner. And uh, so we're thankful for these young people who are following hard after you and, and, and t- transitioning to a new stage of life. And so just be with them, God. Make them make Jesus famous through their lives uh, as they go forward. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, church, give them one more round of applause, okay? And... Uh, <clears throat> Kind of just an FYI, okay, uh, we came in this morning and our light board has got a mind of its own, so if the colors keep changing on me, we're not sure what to do with that, okay? We got to reset next week, between now and next week, so forgive us, okay? Um, I, you know, it's interesting to me, that this morning we're going to l- talk a little bit about the word evangelism, okay? So if you're kind of new to church life, that means kind of introducing people to Jesus Christ, and whenever we talk about that, if you're like me, it's like your heart kind of goes, uh, you know, because uh, you don't want to go out in the community and kind of be a Jesus freak, you know, be kind of nerdy. And, and I always, I'm always interested in how churches market, you know. And, and so I, ta- I pay personally, I guess because I'm a pastor, I pay particular interest to church signs, you know, as I'm driving by and the things they choose to advertise. And the question that I always ask myself when I see a sign or a billboard or whatever, I'm like, is that really going to attract people that don't know anything about Jesus? Is that going to attract them to your church, right? 
I always wonder that. You ever seen the church, you know, the sign, one of the signs is like, you know, C-H-C-H, and under that asks the question, what's missing, right? And it's the two letters, you are. You ever seen it? And I'm like, if I don't go to church, like, is that going to make me go, oh, I got to come this week? And, 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 you know, probably not, right? And then we, you know, we advertise everything from potlucks to bands to, you know, we're going to, you know, all these things. And there's a part of me, it's like, is that really going to encourage me to come? And I personally have concluded that the reason a person ultimately is going to come and investigate the claims of Christ is a relationship with another follower of Jesus. That is really the best way. It's us walking out of here, loving on people and looking and praying for opportunities. Hey, listen, I want to invite you to meet this guy who's changed my life, all right? It really is an individual thing in our culture. I'm not saying we'll never at Coastal use some marketing strategy or whatever, but at the end of the day, it's us being engaged with Christ and being excited about who he is and praying for opportunities to introduce other people to him. And that's why I've titled this sermon, Come and See, because what we're going to look at this morning is the call of the apostles, the disciples, the 12 guys that Jesus really investigate, invested in for his three years of ministry. And what you're going to see over and over is just an invitation to come and see Jesus. Okay, It wasn't even the job of the, of the inviter to change the heart. A heart change is a supernatural work of God. The, 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 what, what each person was to do, though, is say, hey, come and check out Jesus Christ, all right? I saw this video this week. It's a little bit off my topic, but not entirely, okay? And it's, it's by a guy named David Platt, okay? And, he, and so this video I'm going to show you is actually advertising his new book. And so, and so I'm going to hedge it a little bit and say I haven't read the book, so I'm not necessarily promoting it, although I really trust the teaching of David Platt. He wrote the book Radical, if, for those of you who have never read that, okay? And he does a great job of kind of challenging our thinking on what it means to be a disciple and a follower of Christ. Watch this. So I've got this friend, I'll call him John. John's first exposure to the whole concept of hell was when he was watching a Tom and Jerry cartoon when he was younger. And what was intended to be this humorous cartoon all of a sudden turned into this hellacious nightmare when Tom did something bad to Jerry and was thrown into hell as a result. And later, John was at his church and he was talking with an older man about what he'd seen. And the older man looked at John and said, John, you don't want to go to hell, do you? John said, no. And so the man looked back at him and said, okay, pray this prayer after me. Dear Jesus, John kind of paused. There's some awkward silence. And then he realized he was supposed to say exactly what the man had said. So he said, dear Jesus. And the man continued. I know that I'm a sinner, and I believe that Jesus died for my sins, and I ask you to come into my heart and save me. And then when they were finished, the man looked at John and said, son, now you can know that you are saved from your sins, and you don't ever have to worry about hell again. Is that true? Is this really what it means to become a disciple of Jesus? Is this really what it means to follow him? You look back at the first disciples in the Bible, and when Jesus came up to them and said, follow me, that was not an invitation to pray a prayer. That was a summons for these men to lose their lives. But somewhere along the way, 2,000 years later, amid varying cultural tides and popular church trends, we have virtually missed that call. With good intentions, with sincere desires to reach as many people as possible for Jesus, We've taken challenging words from Christ and turned them into trite phrases in the church. 
And in the process, we've drained the lifeblood out of Christianity and replaced it with a watered-down version of the gospel that is so palatable, it's not even real anymore. And the consequences are catastrophic. Scores of men, women, and children culturally identify themselves as Christians today who biblically are not followers of Christ. Is that possible? Absolutely it is. In fact, according to Jesus, it's probable. He said at the end of his most famous sermon, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? And I will tell them, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Those are some of the most frightening words in all of the Bible. As a pastor, I stay awake some nights haunted by the thought that many people, many people who are sitting in church on Sunday will be shocked to stand before Jesus one day and hear him say to them, I never knew you, away from me. We desperately need to take a look at our lives and our churches and ask the question, are we really biblically personally following Jesus? Eternity is dependent on how we answer that question. Church, the Gospel of John has a really simple message. Come and see is what we're going to look at. Follow me is the beckon of Jesus Christ. But that simple message cuts to the heart of who we are and how we live our lives and what portion of our lives Jesus actually has. In fact, today I want to look at, and he, uh, David started with the, the call of the early disciples. And so that's what we're going to look at. I want you to dive right in with me at John chapter 1, verse 35. The following day, John, and by the way, this is not John the author, this is John the Baptist, okay? The following day, John was standing with two of his disciples. So there's two guys that the, John the Baptist is mentoring and teaching, and they're following him. And as Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, there is the Lamb of God. I want you to remember last week as we opened this gospel and we talked about the importance of Jesus Christ as taught by this gospel, by this letter of John. And it's not the Jesus that we want. It's the Jesus who is. It's not the Jesus we've created in our minds. You know, a lot of people say, well, I believe it's the Jesus as revealed to us in the gospel of John. The Jesus who's the creator, the preexistent, special one sent from God and John the Baptist recognizes that and he takes his followers and he says, there's the Lamb of God. He ultimately says, that's who you need to be following. In fact, we live in a culture where many, many church pastors especially want them to follow you, them, right? Follow me. No, we should be turning our eyes. If you're, in a, <clears throat> if you're in leadership as a small group or a teacher, you need to be pointing people to Jesus Christ. That's what John the Baptist modeled for us. Look, there's the Lamb of God. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. And Jesus looked around and saw them following. He says, what do you want? He asked them. They replied, Rabbi, which means teacher. Where are you staying? And Jesus does something kind of crazy here, right? He doesn't say, well, I'm staying right down the street at a house, right? What's he do? He says, I want you to do what? Repeat this with me, what? Come and see, right? Come and see. Check it out. 
And, and in the Bible, the phrase come and see is a little different implication than what we think it does, right? It's not just head knowledge about Jesus. I think that's what David Platt was hitting at. We, we have churches full of people that have head knowledge about Jesus, we have, a, we have a culture that runs around saying, yes, I'm a Christian. Yet, you know, I, I'm going to be cynical for a minute. Can I be cynical for a minute and you not kick me out? Like, like I get cynical when I see churches produce statistics. We had 800 conversions last week. And my cynicism is, if there were 800 people that got truly saved, why is pornography still growing in our country? I get cynical of, you know, people stood up, raised their hand, prayed a prayer. Now, I do that from time to time at Coastal, but I always bracket it with, we're talking about serious spiritual business. Being a Christian, following Jesus is not as simple as a prayer. The prayer is, it's an opportunity to do business with the living God of the universe through his son, Jesus Christ. And come and follow, come and see is not as simple as just having some facts memorized about the God of the universe and his son, Jesus Christ. It's not just seeing with your eyes only. Come and see literally means to observe and to pay attention to and to understand and to learn about and to adjust your life and experience to the person, work, and teaching of Jesus Christ. This is the invitation of Jesus to these men. Hey, I'm not gonna tell you where I am. It's an invitation to see and be a part of what I'm doing. And if, you do, if you're daring enough to come and see, here's what you'll find. You'll find the Messiah. You'll find the Messiah. You'll, you, the, the, the word Messiah means the anointed one. That's what you'll find. If you really, in your heart of hearts, are investigating the Jesus of the Bible, you're gonna find the anointed one. Jesus goes on in John chapter one, verse 40. Andrew... Simon Peter's brother was one of these men who heard what Jesus said, and then he did what, church? What did he do? Followed Jesus, right? He didn't pray a prayer. He didn't come forward. He said, my life is committed to following hard after Jesus Christ. Then Andrew went to find his brother, Simon, and he told him, we found the Messiah, which means the Christ, which is the anointed one. The idea in the word Christ is the special one, the anointed one sent from God. It, it has in its, in its undertones the idea of deliverance, right? By the way, what did Jesus deliver us from? He delivers us from things here on earth to be sure, but he delivers us ultimately from the penalty of our sins. The wages of sin is what, church? It's death, and so ultimately, and the Bible talks about two deaths we talked about on Easter Sunday. There's physical death, but there's also spiritual death, you know, but, but the Bible talks about this, and, and, and the deliverance of the anointed one is what the just penalty of our sins deserve, and I, I love this. Joel was praying, you know, about how broken we are, and I'm like, yes, that's why we need Jesus Christ to be our righteousness. It's our only hope when we stand before a holy God. The, the, the term Messiah has kingship, Undertones. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. And by the way, he, he was kind of subtle the first time around. You know, I mean, he kind of showed off his kingship by raising from the dead, right? I mean, pretty big deal, but it's kind of subtle, right? The next time he comes, his second coming, there will be no doubt who is the king of all the world. It's going to be Jesus Christ. It means he's the special one sent from God. 
the Messiah, the anointed one. And if you come and see, if you're daring enough to really take this journey with me over the next few weeks and you come and see, you're going to find the Messiah, the special one, the Son of God. Now, here's the third thing I want you to see. And so I'm going to kind of transition a little bit to the idea of evangelism, right? It's our job, if you're here this morning, you're a follower of Jesus, it's our job to try to bring other people to meet Jesus. That's our job. That's our mission. And I've been kind of hitting on this with the Great Commission, but I think a lot of times as followers of Jesus, man, we, we get really lazy with the mission, it's just so easy to be like, to, to get kind of comfortable in your journey with Christ. It's easy to, you know, begin to gain head knowledge, read your Bible. All those things are super important, but it's that we gain head knowledge so that we remember and we become more equipped to fulfill the mission, which is to have people meet Jesus Christ, the anointed one. John chapter 141, Andrew went to find his brother Simon. He told him, we found the Messiah, which means the Christ. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. Looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. Jesus does some changing here, right? In fact, many of you, if you've been and read your gospel for any long time, you know all about Peter. Peter's got some great stories that we tend to relate to in our spiritual journey. But Jesus is the one that takes care of the changed name, if you will. Now, I'm going to take a little bit of a spiritual leap here this morning. Like, I... I, one of the reasons I don't like evangelism is really two reasons. One, I don't want to be a Jesus nerd in a culture that when you, you know, if you get too religious, you get kind of weird. That's number one, and that's just being honest, right? Anybody else ever feel like that? Right, just me. Okay. All right, it's, we all feel that, right? But the second reason I get nervous about evangelism is I'm like, what if somebody asks me a question that I can't answer, right? You get nervous about that? Well, here's what I love about this passage. It's not up to me to change a heart. I'm off the hook at that point. I don't have to have the answer to every single question. And I think a lot of times we get like really nervous. In fact, by the way, we're going to look here in the next verse where actually a tough question is asked and you're going to see how, how it's handled. Okay. But, but it's just come and see, check it out. This passage gives me great freedom in the area of evangelism that ultimately God is at work. I had something happen recently in my life where um, it was kind of an evangelistic opportunity and I wasn't sure I handled it very well. And one of my elders came up to me and said, you know what, at the end of the day, God's at work. If God's working on them, he ain't done with that person yet. Isn't that freeing? Like, you know, I, I really can't mess up the mission of God. I need to be available and I do the best I can. I need to be equipped as best I can. But if God's doing the work, God's going to see it through. Yes, church? That's how he worked in your heart. That's how he worked in my heart. It's not my job to convince anyone to follow Jesus. That's the work of God. It's my job to avail myself, to invite and say, hey, come and see. Remember years ago, I was a um, uh, when I was in seminary, I had the opportunity to be a hospital chaplain. It was awesome. I really, really enjoyed it. For the whole summer, they had this really great training program, and, and we ministered in the hospital, and then we debriefed at the end of every week. And so one of the things that we got to do, which was really cool, 
uh, we were invited to come watch a heart surgery from behind some glass. And it wasn't open heart surgery. I think we all had passed out. But it was some, I think it was like putting in a stent. And, and the reason they allowed us to do that was so that we would have some idea what a patient might be going through pre-op, right? And so that, because that's a lot of times as a pastor where you kind of minister. And so they kind of gave us that feel of what that patient was going to go through. And it was really neat as a non-medical person. And so, but I want you to imagine as this doctor is finishing up his surgery and he kind of looks up and, and he says, you know what? I should have never, I should have never had that second cup of coffee this morning. I really got to go use the bathroom. And he points to me behind the glass. He says, your, your name, it says, your name's Sean, right? Yeah, my name's Sean. Why don't you come on in here and finish up for me, right? Like if that would have happened, right? We would that patient would have been in big trouble, right? And I think we think that's our job in evangelism, right? We're talking to a friend or a loved one or a family member, and we think it's our job to go, hey, would you finish up here? Would you finish close up around the heart thing, you know, take care of that? And we, so we get nervous about that. And I've got really good news for everybody in the world. It's not up to me to change your heart. It's not up to me to change your loved ones. It's not up to you to change your loved one, your neighbor, your schoolmate, your, your roommate, whatever. It's not up to you. That is the work of God. God is the one who closes up, if you will, to use a medical term, right? That's really good news to me. It frees me up to be, to say, you know what, my job, and to use a Bible illustration, is just to sow seed and see where it falls and see what, what, what God does while we say, man, I'm just come and see. I think a lot of times when it comes to the idea of working alongside of God to make Jesus famous, right? I've heard all kinds of different sayings, like it's 50-50. Like I do my job, judge, I'm like, no, no, it's not 50-50, okay, to be sure. We're not gonna rob any of God's glory. And then I've heard some people say, well, it's 100-100. And I'm like, you give all your effort to God. I'm like, God, it's not really God, all, God doesn't need all our effort. He, Certainly, it's not like 100%. He just does what he's going to do. He's sovereign, right? And here's the phrase I like to use. God ordinarily works as we work. I want you to hear that. Because if we would not exist as a ministry, all our missions would shut down. If I just said, you know, like, you know, God does it all. No, no. God ordinarily works as we work. So as followers of Jesus, we need to be engaged with the mission. But it is as we engage with that mission that God ordinarily works, if we sit back and do nothing, I'm not going to say God's not going to work, but that's not how God ordinarily works. He will choose a means to make his name famous, all right? I'm a huge believer. One of the reasons we're experiencing financial crisis in this culture is because Christians are not generous. Meaning, if Christians in this culture aren't going to be generous, he'll shift the wealth to another culture where the Christians will be generous. I really believe that. Because we're not generous with our money. God ordinarily works as we work. I really, that's the truth of the scripture. But God's going to accomplish his work. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. He doesn't need America. He ordinarily works. But we are invited to be a part of saying, hey, why don't you come and see? You just come and see this guy we found and see what you think, right? John chapter 143 goes on. It says, the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. And there he found Philip. And he said to Philip, come and follow me. And Philip was from Bethesda and Andrew, Andrew and Peter's hometown. Philip went to look for Nathaniel and he told him, we have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph, Joseph from Nazareth. Now Nathaniel here has a question, 
right? And this is one of our fears in evangelism. Nazareth, exclaimed Nathaniel, can anything good come from Nazareth? And here's Philip's response. Well, of course, let me tell you why Nazareth's a great village and why God can use Nazareth to, you know, change the world, right? Is that what he says? He says, why don't you come and see? Just come and see. Come check it out. He doesn't have this whole discourse, and if you, if you want to use the big theological word, he doesn't have this whole apologetic that he's going to go out and, and build this case why Jesus was going to come from Nazareth. He says, come and see. Come and see for yourself, Philip replied. Church, there's a way to answer tough questions. I think sometimes we get combative. I think sometimes we, you know, that, that we think when we got to talk about Jesus, we got to, you know, we got to have every answer prepared. And sometimes the answer is as simple as if you're serious, if your question is genuine, it really is coming from a heart that wants to understand the truth and you're willing to change your heart in life when the truth is revealed, then come and see. Come and check it out. You know, there, by the way, there, there's a place for healthy questions. There really is. I, I talked about this last fall when we were talking about prayer. Remember, I said, we are, when it comes to prayer, even as followers of Christ, we're allowed to gripe up, right? We're allowed to complain up in prayer. There's, there's a place for healthy questions. And maybe you're here this morning and actually... You have some questions. Like you're, you've been investigating the claims of Christ and you're here and you're like, I have some questions. It's okay to have questions. But I want to push back a little bit and say, you know what? God's not playing games here either. I think a lot of, we live in a culture where we're going to have so many questions. We're just going to ask and ask and ask. And when there's a logical or a healthy answer given, we, we just drill down and ask more questions. And I want to challenge you with this. We we have to build our lives and our worldview on something. We don't just get to ask questions all the time. I've heard it said that the, the key to having an open mind is to have your mind open enough to shut it on something solid. Right? Our, our, our questions should be surrounded of, I'm pursuing the truth. And once I know the truth, I want to build my life on the truth because I do agree with Jesus who said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So I have to know the truth in order to build my life on something solid. But genuine questions are okay if the search is for truth that will ultimately set you free. James chapter four, I love this verse. James writes this four verse eight, he says, come close to God and God will come close to you. Like God's not playing games. God's not playing hide and seek. If you got a genuine question and you come and see and you investigate, God draws close to the ones that are genuinely seeking the truth and pursuing him. If you're asking genuine questions, here's the deal. God is going to awaken your heart and do something great and reveal himself to you. But if you're just playing games, and now here's the, the, the back part of this verse I think is really true. I think a lot of times we don't really want the truth, which gets to the gospel of John. God sent the light and the darkness really, the, the people of darkness really love the darkness more than the light. And that's the back end of James chapter four of this verse, verse eight. What sometimes we don't really want the truth because if the truth was really revealed to us, it means we got to make some life changes. The Bible will call that repentance in order to pursue the light. And the truth is we oftentimes really want the darkness more than we want the light. Because James 4a says, come close to God, he'll come close to you. But wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts for your loyalty is divided between God and what, church? The world, right? That's why the, the call to come and follow 
is so all-encompassing. That's why it's not just pray a prayer. It's as you're journeying with God, he's going to continue to reveal things to your heart, and you need to adjust in order to make Jesus famous if you're really following him. That's why when I talked about money a few minutes ago, about American generosity, our hearts all sank. And I want to push back a little bit. When are we really going to come and follow, even with our checkbook? And really believe God can provide for us so that we can make Jesus famous. The church in America should be funding the kingdom, okay? And we're not, because we're really not following. Whenever the preacher preaches on that, we get so uncomfortable, we go, we're not coming back. That's where the rubber meets the road. Not just money, I'm just talking about a wholehearted pursuit of Christ. In fact, Jesus actually, it's really interesting with Nathaniel here. He actually gives him praise for his question. Check this out in verse 47, Nathaniel. Jesus addressing Nathaniel says, As they approached, Jesus said, Now here is a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. Some of your, some of your uh, older versions of I say, a man with no deceit. And I love that because I think he's saying, he's really asking a genuine question. He's not just here to argue for argument's sake. Jesus goes on to reveal himself to Nathaniel. okay? So, so if your heart is genuine, the spirit of God and the word of God work together to change a heart. That's the work of God. And so Jesus says, uh, how, how do you know about me, Nathaniel asked. And so Jesus replied, well, I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. So Jesus, in other words, Nathaniel's like, how did you even know about it? You said, I'm a person of no deceit, a person of genuine character, a man of Israel with integrity. And so Nathaniel goes, how did you know about me? Jesus replied, I see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. Then Nathaniel exclaimed, Rabbi, you're the son of God, the king of Israel. Now that's a weird exchange, right? He, not, every commentator has a different idea of what's going on here, but here's what I think is ultimately going on here. Jesus revealed enough of himself to Nathaniel to awaken his heart to the things of God. Whatever questions were going through Nathaniel's heart, Jesus was able to answer when he said, I saw you under the fig tree. And it was that moment, and by the way, have you ever done that? I mean, I, I guess as a preacher, I maybe get maybe more of this than you do, but maybe you've been coming to church and, and Pastor Sean says some one line that he just kind of throws out there and you're like, man, that, that, that really challenged me. I, this morning I... Uh, I was a little rushed for time because my wife's out of town. I had to get my son here. I was a little rushed for time. I didn't have as much time in my word as I wanted to, but I've read one little chapter, Jeremiah 48. It was just this little thing. I was like, I'll read this real quick. And I read this one verse. And I was like, oh, ooh. Like, I, I needed to hear that. I needed to be challenged with that. My thinking needed to be renewed and challenged so that I could continue to follow God in that area. You ever had that happen? One little line, and I'm like, what's going on? That's the work of God changing your heart. It's a spiritual thing that God knows what you need to be challenged with, what you need to hear, and how you need to hear. And so when we invite someone and say, come and see, guess what? Whatever is heard that morning, there's a God element going on there that changes the heart. It's not up to you to change the heart. It's your, it's your job to participate and say, hey, we want to invite you. Come and see. Come and follow. Come and check out Jesus. But Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the word of God takes care of the actual heart change. And so Nathaniel's heart is changed. And by the way, what you're going to see here uh, is 1 John 1, 1 through 18 is going to continue to be revealed throughout this book. 
It's just going to come up over and over and over again. What you're going to find is that Jesus is the preexistent, eternal creator, special son of God. And if you believe in him, you will have power. You'll not only have power in this life, but you'll have eternal life. And you're going to see that over and over in the gospel of John. So Jesus says, I saw you in the fig tree. And Nathaniel says, man, truly you're the son of God. And then Jesus answers in John chapter one, verse 50, Jesus asked him, do you believe this just because I told you I'd seen you under a fig tree? Nathaniel, you're going to see greater things than this. And then he said, I tell you the truth. You will all see heaven open up and the angels of God are going up and down on the son of man and the one, uh, who is the, uh, the one who is the stairway between heaven and earth. Jesus says, listen, you're gonna see some greater things. Now, I read verse 51 and I was like, what in the world is Jesus talking about there? I thought the stairway to heaven was a Led Zeppelin song, right? You know, <clears throat> so... What Jesus is referring to here is Genesis chapter 28, okay? And in Genesis chapter 28, so let me give you a little backdrop to the story of Genesis 28, okay? Um, In Genesis, there was a guy by the name of Abraham who God promised he was going to make Abraham a great nation. And through Abraham, uh, he was going to make a great nation. All the nations would be blessed through the children of Abraham. Does that make sense? And so Abraham got real old. He never had a son. He never had this promised son until he got really old. And God did this miracle and he had a son. What was his son's name? His first son's name? Isaac, right? So actually his first son's name was Ishmael, but Isaac was the one through which the promise was going to come, right? And so he has Isaac. And Isaac has two kids, and their name is what? Anybody remember? I have a little bit. Jacob and Esau, right? And so Esau was the older son, and in Old Testament times, the older son was always the one that received the blessing and, the, and got the lion's share of the inheritance and that kind of thing. But God said, I'm doing something different. He said, the, the, younger, uh, the older son's going to serve the younger son in this case. And that's how God works. He sometimes turns tradition and cultures on their head, right? And so Jacob is the one who gets the blessing, uh, and, and he, he gets uh, the birthright and the blessing, okay? Now, he's a little bit sneaky about it, and he kind of steals the birthright from his older, or he steals, fine, steals the birthright, and then he kind of steals the blessing uh, from his o- older brother Esau. And so in Genesis chapter 28, what we find is first he stole uh, the birthright, and then he steals the blessing, and then he realizes, my older brother Esau is so mad at me, he's probably going to kill me, okay? So he is off heading away from Esau because he's afraid he's going to get killed. And as he's running away, he, he falls asleep one night. It says then in verse 28, and by the way, Jacob's name got changed a little bit later, right? Anybody know what his name was changed to? Israel, okay? So Jacob's name was changed to Israel, which is going to be this great nation of which God said, I'm going to bless all the world through you, Israel, okay? And so he's running away from, from Esau because he stole all his good stuff and he thinks he's going to get killed. And, so, and, and he gets his name changed later in Genesis when they're coming back together and reuniting, okay? But in Genesis chapter 8, 20, he's running away. It says, then Jacob woke up from his sleep and he said, surely the Lord was in this place. So, and and so, so what happened was Jacob... Um, Jacob had a dream in 28, okay, and in this dream, heaven opens up and there's a stairway with the angels going up and down. So how many of y'all have ever heard of that, the dream, that dream, okay, about a third of you, okay? So in Genesis chapter 28, he has this dream and heaven opens up and there's a stairway with angels coming up and down, touching earth, and it's kind of the stairway to heaven, if you will. So Jacob wakes up from his sleep and he said, surely the Lord is in this place and I wasn't even aware of it. 
but he was also afraid. And he said, what an awesome place this is. It's none other than the house of God, the very gateway to heaven. Okay, so he's saying this place that I'm standing is the gateway to heaven. Because I just saw the stairwell with the angels going up and down. All right. The next morning, Jacob got up early. He took the stone on which he had rested his head against. He set it upright as a memorial pillar and he poured olive oil on it. And he named this place, what church? Bethel, which means what? House of God, okay? So what in the world is Jesus doing here? Jesus is taking this dream And he's saying, I am the gateway to heaven. Isn't that interesting? See, all these guys that he's calling, they would have understood this. They would have known this story. It was passed down through their household. It was passed down at the temple and the sanctuaries where they worship. They would have known this story and they would have known exactly what Jesus is claiming. It's not a place called Bethel. It's not a location, it's not a physical temple, which by the way, remember, we're in John chapter one, we're skipping ahead to John chapter four, he meets a woman at the well, remember the woman at the well story? Woman at the well, she goes, well, the Jews say we worship over here, and then my group says we worship over here, and Jesus says it's no longer here or there, it's now worshiping through a person, through spirit and what, church? Truth, right? So Jesus is already beginning to shape their thinking, and he says, I am now the gateway to heaven. It's a person. This is a radical shift for these guys. This is an opportunity for them to go, am I really in? Am I really following me? Because this is pretty different stuff. The whole, it's not a place anymore, but it's spirit and the truth. And the greater things is the person and work of Christ. It's the greater things. The greater things is our righteousness before the holy God is no longer about sacrificing animals and bulls, Old Testament stuff, but there is one sacrifice made once for all. It's the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so his, the greater things is your righteousness and gateway to heaven is the person and work of Christ. It's the greater things. It's his life, it's his ministry, it's his death, it's his resurrection, and it's the exaltation of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is saying, in essence, I am the stairway to heaven. That's what he's saying, in very essence. And this is a radical shift. But if you come with a genuine heart and you come and see, you are gonna find that Jesus Christ is the stairway to heaven. I, um, I love watching sports in almost any sports, right? But you wanna know what my favorite sport to watch is? Any sport that one of my kids is participating in, right? And uh, last, yesterday I drove all the way to Rocky Mountain, North Carolina to watch my son play two baseball games and drove back, okay? Now, I just love to watch him. Two weeks ago, my daughter was skating in her first ever ice competitions, ice skating competition. And I don't know very much about ice skating, okay? But I was pretty pumped up, right? And, and so what happened was she had a 60-second program that she had trained for and, and she had practiced for. And, uh, and so there's, I don't know, maybe 100 parents in this, around this ice rink. And, and when her part came, none of these parents were paying attention except me, right? <laughs> They stayed huddled up talking. I'm like, what's wrong with you people? You know, do you not know the preparation that went into this 60-second performance? I mean, we're talking hours spent over picking the song, you know? And, and, and look, she, those crossovers that she's doing on ice skates, that's not so easy to do, you know? And she did one of these, and it was incredible, you know? And, 
And these parents are just not paying any attention. And we got up early. I mean, it was makeup and hair and outfit for 60 seconds. Some of you in this room, there's something supernatural going on week in and week out as we say, come and see, and we present to you Jesus Christ. And it's not religious, and it's not go be good, and it's not go do better. It's the person and work of Christ. And we, and we try to do it in a way that's palatable, and we try to do it in a way that's cultural, but it's, it's, it's a 2,000-year message that Jesus Christ is the stairway to heaven, and it's not a checkbox. It's come and follow me with your lives. If you want abundant life, and you want eternal life. There's many weeks I get up here and preach week in and week out and I feel like everyone's just kind of doing their own thing and I just want to go, you're missing what's going on. We're so engrossed by the world that we come in and we think religion's some checkbox, but man, we're missing what it really means to follow Christ. And he called these guys and it, it wasn't, you know, they didn't have this huge argument. They just said, come and see. And as they came and saw, they decided to go and follow not holding anything back. We're going to follow Christ. And if you will pursue Christ and the truth of his teaching, you will not leave the same. You will have abundant life and you will have eternal life. And my fear that we're all cloistered up in our own little world and we're missing this great spiritual gift of the God of the universe. And next week, I'm gonna introduce you to probably the most famous verse of this book. That God so loved us that he sacrificed his one and only son that you could have a relationship with God the Father. We dare not miss that, church. We dare not miss that. Let's pray. God, the invitation this morning is to come and see. I mean, really see. I mean, we're not playing games here, God. This, we're talking eternity at stake. And if this gospel is true, I mean, if you really, if Jesus really is the only way to heaven, And if it's really not just check a box, raise a hand or pray, but if it's really come and follow, God, we need to be gripped by that message. God, I'm a longtime follower of Christ, and even I'm convicted at the times I, I take it so lightly, God, that you would send your son because you love us. And so as your people, God, we, we ask for forgiveness when we 
take the gospel lightly and help us to be radically changed. Help us to go out of this room on mission, God, that there's people around us that need to be freed from their sin and they need to be introduced to the, the, the Messiah, the anointed one, the special one sent from God. Because we've got this really short season to get this right. And so my invitation this morning for us as a church Come and see and come and follow. Help us to do that well, to take that serious. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Church, this is our offering time. If you're a guest with us this morning, uh, I want you to know we're not after your money. This is one of the ways we worship God at Coastal Community Church. If you'd like to join us in that, uh, you're certainly welcome to. If you're a guest this morning, <clears throat> we would love to have one thing from you on the side of that bulletin is what we call a connect card or tear off if you'd fill that out. We just want to send you a thank you card for coming. If you're here this morning, you came in with a heavy weight, uh, You'd like to talk to someone and pray with someone. We always have our prayer team members up here in the front row. They wear purple shirts. That's how you know who they are. We would love for you to pray with one of them. And, uh, and if you have some genuine questions or prayer concerns about what it means to follow after Christ, uh, you can make use of that prayer team. I know they would love to talk with you and pray with you and join what God's doing in your heart on that journey to follow Christ. Joey.